You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning, Redemption. How are we doing this morning? Great. How are we doing this morning? Great. All right, well, I'm good in Jesus too. If this is your first time here and you're visiting today, my name is Brandon and I'm one of the elders and the lead pastor here at Redemption City. And let me tell you, you've come on a great day to experience the truth about God. And if we're working through this series called the Ephesians series, and so it's an opportunity for all of us to take steps on knowing more of who we are in Christ. And so if you've been regularly attending and you're familiar face and you're coming Sunday in and Sunday out, I'm hoping that you're starting to build relationships and maybe you're going on coffee dates and exchanging phone numbers and your kids are starting to spend time together. And hopefully over time, you may consider Redemption City Church to be a safe place to call home and if you are a glad covenant member we just got done pastor jack just talked about it our first covenant membership if you have just taken that leap of faith to make redemption city church your home and you are a glad covenant member i do pray that you are already beginning to experience the beautiful fruit of what happens when you get to belong to a people and those people get to belong to you now um, again for those who are visiting here today or maybe it's your first time here i want to kind of introduce you a little bit to our family culture. We're going to do that by kind of exploring three questions in a shortened way. We've done it in a longer way. We're going to do that real briefly. So here's the first one. Hey, Pastor Brandon, why every time when we get ready to start service, do you say good morning and how are we? Okay. So a loving family cares to inquire one another and I care about you. And so listen, I don't know what you've been doing all week. You may have had the most awesome week. You may have been celebrating. You may have had a terrible week. You may have had trials and adversities. So when I'm saying, hey, how are you doing? That's a real opportunity, not a fake opportunity, a real opportunity for you to think right now, how am I doing on this morning as I get ready to interact with the living word of God? Here's the second question. Why do you then encourage me to respond back? Like, that's kind of weird. I'm not used to being to a church where we're talking during the sermon. No, it's really not weird. Listen, a healthy family 
exchanges communication, right? And so when I'm inviting you to speak in the sermon, it's an opportunity for us to engage. Engagement is always the healthiest pathway for a family. In fact, there's going to be times where I'm going to say, amen, I'm going to leave a little bit of room for you to respond. And amen means let it be so. So if we're saying something that we want to praise God about, I want you to feel comfortable to just shout out loud, amen, praise, praise Christ because God, excuse me, because God is good. And then finally, why do you then encourage me to say that I'm doing good or well or awesome if I actually did have a terrible, terrible week? Are you encouraging me to fake it? Listen, I promise you this. I will never encourage you at church to fake anything. But I am asking you to invite Christ into your circumstance this morning to transform it. To transform it. Let's look at this verse real quick. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That comes out of Psalms. You know what's so beautiful about this promise here? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Every single day, God promises goodness in your life. And so even though we don't always feel like we're having a good day, we can say and proclaim that God is still good and we can transfer our faith and our hope to God. Is that good news? That is good news. Hey, listen, I want to have balance in the tension points. It is okay to not be okay. God meets you where you're at, and so will we. It's on the front page of our website, but this is the one time, Sunday morning, the one time a week where we get to rally together as the people of God and to say, no matter what's going on, God is good, and I have eternal security in Him, therefore I am good. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Ephesians chapter one that's all that's where we're camping out forever no <laughs> but for a while ephesians chapter one if you don't have your own bibles we have some bibles for you to use they're to the left on the windowsill the, the turquoise ones we just ask that you would put them back when you're done and so we're going to continue magnifying god because that's that's the only reason why we all exist to magnify god we're going to continue to do that as we go through this ephesians series titled our story into god's story and it's all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And here's going to be our aim throughout this series, okay? It's about us saying, no matter if you've read Ephesians a million times or one time, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or you have a master's degree from a seminary or you're just barely learning how to navigate that Bible, everybody on the spectrum, our hope, our aim is that you would have an encounter through the book of Ephesians with God like you've never had before. And we're going to try to accomplish that aim by going through this seven-part mini foundational series we're working on. And right now we're moving into part five. But let's do a, a quick review as I do see quite a few um, new faces here today. So in part one, and we're going to kind of do a little quicker one. So in part one and part two of um, this series, we looked at um, foundations and proclamations and prayer, peace, and an invitation. And so in part one, we set the stage of what was going on historically in the book of Ephesians. And so we looked at what was going on at that time in Ephesus and what are the implications that has for us. And then we learned what Paul was experiencing under light chain house arrest and why that's so important, right? To understand what kind of prison confinement was he in, how was he able to do what he was doing, and what does that mean for you and for me? And then finally, we looked at the construction of the book of Ephesians, how it's kind of broken into different parts. And so in kind of the, we're looking at it in three segments. In segment one, we're going to discover who we are in Christ, and that takes us from the first couple chapters. And then we look at now that we know who we are, 
What is God calling us to do with that knowledge? And then finally, at the end of the series, we will eventually learn how to protect what God has given us. And so, and then we looked at verses one and two, and we really tore those apart. Like every single word, we tore, we tore it apart, and we looked at what God was sharing with us. And then we looked at the character of Paul. This is key. We looked at the character of Paul, who he is, and how that leads to us being encouraged for our redemption story. Because after all, Paul was a murderous man that God redeemed and used in mighty ways. And that has real implications for us as sinners being redeemed by God. And then we finally learn what it means to have the peace of God and how the grace of God and the mercy of God go once continuing forward daily, the other one's pushing forward. And when you bring that grace and mercy together, it activates for the people of God, a type of peace that Paul was inviting us into or is inviting us into. And then in part three titled, turn on the switch to every blessing in Christ. This is kind of our, our pivot point sermon, right? And so there we learn, what is Paul trying to communicate? And what's, and, and what's Ephesians trying to communicate? And the major thing is this, God does the work. Repeat after me, God does the work. That is good news. You want God to be doing the work in and through your life. Listen, he predestines us. We don't predestine anything. He lavishes blessings upon us we usually screw up everything and he chose us first and that's one of the most beautiful beautiful truths in scripture that god chose us first we did not choose him first and so we learned that every spiritual blessing is found in the heavenly places not every earthly blessing that we find in the retail places and the retail stores right god's not promising us money and finances and happiness all the time if that's your pursuit you're going to be disappointed in this life just live long enough but what he does promise you is a type of spiritual heavenly blessing that will never ever disappoint and so paul is saying this underneath the whole book of ephesians hey do you want to know how to navigate your life out of brokenness you do that in christ hey do you want to know how to be a confident business owner or a mother or a father you want to do that well in a god glorifying way you do that in Christ. Do you want to know how to be a, a pastor or a psychologist or a Christian counselor or, or do anything in my name? You got to do that in Christ. Hey, if you're getting older, how do you, how, how do you spend your latter years well in a God honoring way? You do that in Christ. And then finally, last week in part four, we looked at the beginning of the blessings, the fullness of God's blessings, segment A, where we looked at the first two being chosen and adopted. And we learned that God the Father is both blessing us with specific things, namely to be chosen by Him and then adopted. Two different things. First, there's a choice, and He activated it with His opinion and His righteous decision. And then with that choice, He adopted us to be His children. And that is good news. And that includes so much. You see, once we weren't the people of God, once we were in darkness, but now we have the opportunity because of Christ, because of God's love to be in a right relationship with them. And that brings good news. And so that brings us to today um, in our seven part mini series titled part, um, part five titled the fullness of God's blessing segment B redemption. And we're going to be looking at 
what is redemption all about? And we're going to be turning our attention now to Jesus. We looked at God and how he specifically blesses us with those first two blessings. Hopefully that leads us to being able to worship him. And now we're going to turn the corner and look at Jesus. And how does Jesus specifically now bless me? And how does he bless you so that we can worship Jesus more specifically. All right, so Pastor Jack's going to join me right now. We're going to read through the uninterrupted Word of God, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the uninterrupted word of God. How privileged we are this morning. Think about it. How privileged we are to be able to hear the word of God no persecution, freely able to come to church. Let us remember that every time we hear the word of God, every time we come to church, it's a privilege, not a duty. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. <clears throat> Creator of the universe, our Abba Father, thank you for the expanse of the sky and the depths of the ocean that display the magnitude of your power and the ease of your creative word when you spoke it all into existence, including us, God. May we forever be humbled by that reality alone that you spoke us, by the word of your power into existence. Today, our prayer is short and our prayer is simple. And this is our ask, that you would open up the chambers of our heart, that you would open up our eyes so that we might see how wonderful and satisfying you are 
Heavenly Father, help us to remove all distractions, remove everything, Lord, that would interrupt us from being able to have a living encounter with you. You have a beautiful story for us to hear today about what you are offering us through your son in redemption. May that be so this morning. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So I want us to continue taking our time as we work through verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians. So, so here's something that perhaps you may not know about the construction of how the Bible is put together, specifically Ephesians, as we're looking at that. So when these letters were originally written, this one by Paul, um, whether he wrote it with his hand or later in his years, which honestly may be true for Ephesians. This is one of his last books that he wrote, and he had scribes helping him. They didn't contain verses. They didn't contain numbers or any of the chapters that we see now. These are all post-additions to the original work. Okay, now this is a really, really good thing and it helps us break down the Bible so we can pass on the knowledge of God. That's why that was done. This is a really, really, really good thing. In fact, it's so good. It's been done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's probably going to continue to be that way because it helps us to study the Bible and pass it on to our children, exchange with each other. It helps us to be able to look at the Bible well. But even good things have their downside, right? Think about, think about the best things in life. They usually have a downside too. And I want to make sure that we don't miss something very important that God has for us. And that's this. Right here in verses 3 through 14 specifically, it was, this is one complete thought of God that Paul is sharing. Let me say that again. This is one complete thought thought or sentence that Paul is sharing. That's why I've encouraged you throughout the series to go home and to read the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting. Remember that? Here's my question to you. Have you been doing that? Have you been spending time away from church in your Bible? Okay, because the whole book of Ephesians will take you about 35 minutes to read. It's about five, six pages total, because there's something beautiful that you're going to see differently. Listen, my job and my part on a Sunday morning is to break down the nitty gritty of what's going on in this text. And I want to, I want to kind of show you the trees and the leaves and the roots of this beautiful tree that God is building in you. But you also have a part and that part is to go home and to look at the whole forest that God is talking about when you see it on Interrupted. So today, remember this, verses 3 through 14 that we're working through is one complete thought by Paul. And so when we are working through what I've kind of coined to help us think through it, these seven identifiable blessings of God, these are all, Paul's sharing all of these and he's, and he's just laying them out. Boom, 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 boom. And then he connects them all into a beautiful beautiful gift. And so towards the, at the, on part seven, which is about two weeks from now, we're going to look at that. We're going to put them all together. We're going to see something beautiful and amazing that God has for us. Okay. So here's our first takeaway for your handouts. The rich contents within this one sentence that expands across verses three through 14 that Pastor Jack just read contains our entire, think about this, Christian faith and hope. Now, I don't know about, I don't know any other place in the Bible. I can think of maybe a couple that are close that contain our entire Christian faith and hope in literally one sentence. God's purpose for these riches are not primarily centered on increasing our intellectual knowledge, tracking, nor our theological precision. That is not the point. 
but rather these riches are purposed with encouraging us to experience God in deeper ways so that we might worship him more. And this is fueled by the experiential truth of knowing God relationally. That is the point. The point is to experience God. Because we can't even talk about redemption without that being our core foundation. We are here to have a, a relationship with God. In fact, look on the screen. A relationship with God is greater than information about God. A relationship with God is always more important than any information you can learn about God. This is why it's so important to get this deep into the crevices of your heart. Everything we do as Christians is built upon having a relationship with him. Everything. That's why I want to keep showing you throughout this whole book of Ephesians just how real the living God is. Not, he's not just a thought. He's God and he's worthy to be praise to be lifted up in your life but half the time we don't lift him up in our life because we don't have a living vibrant relationship with him he becomes a story and not a person and i want you to see that he's a person even in john chapter 1 verse 14 it says that jesus put on flesh the, one of the primary reasons why jesus came was so that we could relate to god relationally that's why it's probably, listen, I try so hard lovingly and gently and honestly, sometimes even aggressively when I'm dealing with young students who are pursuing theological education to remind them to keep their relationship with God secure and not to get lost in their learning in the information. Okay, so we're going to turn a hard corner, so stay with me here. Um, because so much of our misery, and these are the things that distract us from being able to even interact with redemption. So much of our misery and so much of our experiences that we have in the world far too often are centered on the things that make us happy. We tie our happiness to things like our bank accounts, our jobs, our careers, our relationships. And because we tie our happiness to all of these things and because all these things are unstable and we can't and, and they're constantly changing as things happen in life. We are usually marked by pain, by disappointment. Think about this. Be honest with yourself. By uncertainty as we place our hope in these things. And oftentimes, if we're being true as the people of God, we often have more misery internally in our hearts than we're willing to admit. So here's what Paul does. And he's experiencing this. He's seeing it in the Gauls. He's seeing it in the, he's hearing about it in the church of Ephesus. So his aim is to lift our eyes up off of these common and temporary graces, these things that we're putting our hope in to be happy about as he's pinning this letter to the Ephesians. And he's saying, hey, don't do that. And instead point your gaze towards spiritual and eternal blessings that won't disappoint you. Don't put your hope in things that are constantly changing. Instead, put your hope in that which does not change. So he's exhorting us to tie our happiness not in things and not in people, but to attach our happiness in God. 
So he starts unloading all these spiritual blessings, right? We're calling them the seven identifiable blessings. So he starts unpacking them all. He's unpacking them all. And we looked at the first two. What's blessing number one? Being chosen by God our Father. Number two, being adopted by God our Father. And now we're looking at what Jesus offers us. And that comes in um, the first part of verse seven. So let's look at that. And this is what the word of the Lord says in verse seven. In him, and we're talking about Christ right now, namely Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. This, this, is, this is massive. Think about this. According to whatever this rich is, whatever this blessing is, whatever this mysterious thing that Christ is doing, through his blood, what? We're forgiven of every trespass. We're forgiven of every wrong doing and we have the opportunity for redemption. So here's blessing number three. We have redemption through his blood. The first blessing, the first identifiable blessing that we're going to look at from Christ. So I want us to look at the American Heritage Dictionary for a definition of redemption so we can all be on the same page. And here it is. Here's redemption. The process of rescuing or reclaiming something by the way of payment. Okay, so stay with me. We're going to build a whole bridge and then we're going to get in there like we usually do. The process of rescuing or reclaiming something by the way of payment. It's the deliverance upon payment of a ransom or a clearing of debt. Okay, I want you to know that. So this is what redemption is. Now, obviously, we didn't come just to talk about like a secular American heritage di dictionary definition of it. We're here to talk about a more glorious reality of this redemption playing out as the children of God. It's a type of redemption that takes us beyond our pain, our trials, and our losses. Therefore, despite any past, despite any present, and despite any future struggle you may have, God has a redemption story for me and for you. And in order for us to see that, we have to believe that nothing in Christ is ever, ever wasted. I want to say that again. No matter what's happened in your story, you may be struggling right now. You may have a wayward child and your heart is breaking. Hello, let's just be real this morning. We come into church so often in church culture. Hello, how are you? I'm blessed. And then we walk out. And we know we're struggling and our lives are in utter disarray and we're broken and we're not being authentic, genuine about where we're at. Let's not do that this morning. So many of us are struggling in our marriages, smiling when we come in front of people and we know it is on the brink of divorce. And what Paul is sharing is that no matter what's going on in your story, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, what you're doing in, this, in, in the dark, there's a redemption story that God has for you. It's a redemption story first to be reconciled to God. But in being reconciled to God, there's all kinds of redemption and reconciliation that comes from that. <laughs> That's the good news. It starts with God and it, and it just permeates all over your life. It starts to affect your relationships of all kinds at work, at home. There's redemption possible for me and for you. So in order for us to see that God always has a plan for our lives, 
no matter what's going on, in order for us to believe that despite our trials, despite our circumstances, that God has a plan, we're going to take another look at the goals to see that very faithfully. If you weren't here, I want to do the best job I can to give you a quick review because this series is really, we're doing this in a, in a faithful way, and so it might be hard for you to jump in. So here's our historical depiction of the Gauls to hopefully help this to make sense for you. These Gauls were wild hair, bone necklace wearing wild men. They were considered very simple and uncivilized. And so the story basically goes that the Romans came into their area and they were trying to build more streets and roads because that's all the Romans want to do. They just want to conquer everything. So, the, um, so they're building these roads and they're coming into the land of the Gauls. And so all of a sudden the Gauls are like, you're in our land, you can't be here. So therefore there's a big, big fat war that begins. The Gauls are utterly slaughtered. The Roman technology is way too much for them. And so their wives and their children were slaughtered. They were stripped from their culture and only the best Gauls who were the like chief warriors were kept and they were brought to Rome in captivity. But over time, these Gauls were kind of made into Roman citizens and they went through a process of being Romanized and they were put into positions as prison guards, specifically and usually for people who were under light chain house arrests like Paul was. And so he was often guarded by these, these Gauls who had now become Romans and they were prison, they, they watched over the prisoners. And so one of the biggest advantages that Paul had in light chain house arrest is that he was permitted to uh, kind of come and go a little bit around the city. And most importantly, people could come and see him as much as they wanted and they could exchange correspondences. That's how we have the living word of God today because Paul was under that light chain house arrest. Okay, so hopefully you feel caught up. So now I wanna look at redemption through a physical picture, through a physical reality of what Paul was witnessing amongst these Gauls. So I wanna show you how it is not an accident what we're seeing in the book of Ephesians. And so we're gonna look at how a Gaul went through the process of becoming a citizen of the Roman kingdom under the rulership of Caesar and how that parallels Paul's unaccidental, non-coincidence, God-shaping history type of a way that we see it pinned in the book of Ephesians. And let me promise you this, if you lean in with me, this is gonna be really good news for your confidence in this Bible. Every week I wanna present something new to you in a fresh way. Sometimes it's to look at that the word of God is beautiful, that every word matters. So we did like in part two, like man, that word grace means something, that word means something. Today, underneath the beautiful mysteries, what I wanna show you is that you can place trust and hope in God, that God is big, and how he's put this Bible together is magnificent. Are you ready? Okay, so the first thing you need to understand is this. The Gauls were dead to rights. Everybody say, the Gauls. The Gauls. Oh, let's try again. The Gauls, the Gauls. were dead to rights. Were dead to rights. Look, listen, they were conquered, and the only thing they had left as these single-minded warriors was two options once they were conquered. Death or enslavement in a high, confined prison cell. And think about it. If you were one of these Gauls and they had literally killed your wife and your children, and then they put you in a captivity, would you be a danger to the Rome? Yeah, yeah, I'd be a danger. You killed my wife and my kids, I'm not happy. And so they had two choices, die, we're gonna, you can die, or you can be a prisoner. And honestly, that wasn't much better. You know, I mean, they're, they're living in their feces, they're barely eating human food. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And so, but in God's grace and in his infinite wisdom, he worked a God story. Part of the title of this whole series. 
he worked a God story. And a part of that God story was this, and this is what I loved in my, when I was studying historically. And part of this God story was that he preserved a few of these Roman families and he softened their hearts. A few Roman families at that time's hearts were softened towards these captive prisoners. So God, in his infinite wisdom, did not allow certain families to have their consciences so seared by just literally slaughtering people. And they were activated into a type of desire to see some of these prisoners in captivity given a new life historically. This has even nothing to do with Ephesians yet, okay? So now they didn't get offered a life quite equivalent to someone who had a Roman blood, but it was better than being either in the prison or being six feet under the ground. And this is where the Gauls fragmented redemption story began, okay? Now, what I wanna show you is this historical Romanization process. And I wanna show you how that happened. And then we're gonna put how it happens in Ephesians right underneath it. It's gonna be beautiful. Here we go. So this is the three fold step process of how a Gaul experienced historical redemption out of being a slave in a high confinement prison into being a Roman citizen redeemed and released to have a sort of a life in Rome. Okay, so here we go. Physical reality step one. We came to, we're going to school today. Physical reality step one. A Gaul had to completely renounce his former life and admit and submit that he was dead and deserving and not deserving any rights in Rome. You couldn't do anything until you did that. So they would come and they would visit. Historically, they would come into the prisons and they would say, do you denounce your former life? Who are you? I'm a Gaul. Close the gate again. Come back another day. You had to denounce and renounce your whole former life and admit that you didn't deserve anything. You were dead to rights. So these Gauls were often put into like a type of Roman concentration camp where this was taking place. And um, they would go through rigorous trainings and relearnings and being indoctrinated into the Roman society. And the first thing that the, the Roman government mandated was that these captive Gauls went through that that situation. This is historically a true thing that happened in Rome. Is this crazy? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? Maybe not yet, but it will. Here's physical reality step two. Here we go. A Gaul had to then be chosen by a Roman family. You don't have to read the Bible, folks, to read this historical. This is historical true facts of the Roman society. So the second step when you were a cap, you didn't have to be a Gaul. You could have been a different, um, a different nation that was conquered. So the second step was a captured non-Roman had to be chosen by a Roman family. One of the, so once the Gaul's heart had softened towards Rome, and sometimes they didn't, and if you could not soften your heart, you'd, be, you'd die. <laughs> you, you, you don't want to soften towards our country? We'll kill you. Now, for those who their hearts softened towards Rome, the next thing they did was that the, the Roman gover government mandated that each Gaul be chosen by a specific Roman family. Here's the thing, the Roman family had to choose the Gaul first. It didn't even matter if the Roman, if, if you were a Gaul and you're like, okay, okay, I've lost my wife, I've lost my children, but I just, I, just want, I just want to live, I just want to start my life over, it didn't matter. A Roman family had to choose you first. The Gaul could not choose anything first. And it was only after a Roman family had chosen a Gaul that the Gaul could be attached and removed out of the prison into a family. 
You tracking? Does that sound familiar to you at all when you read the Bible? Here's the last step, physical reality step three. And this, this, is, this, is, this is crazy. I remember when I was studying and seeing this for the first time, I was like, wow, God, you're so big. A Gaul had to then be adopted by a Roman family and given a new name. So think about this. After the Gaul had renounced his personal rights, his, his culture, his old life, after he had been chosen by a Roman family, he had to then be given an inheritance. So the family would say, I'm gonna, we're choosing you and we're attaching you to our inheritance because you can't live in Rome without inheritance. So when these Gauls were eventually released to be Roman um, prison guards, they weren't paid weekly or monthly or yearly. You would serve a certain tenureship for a period of time and then you would receive a little coin on your belt, a token, a seal, we're not ready for that yet, a seal of your inheritance. Okay, so once all that happened, you were given a new name. You couldn't keep your old name. You had to be given a, a new name, specifically a Latin name. You could not be a Roman citizen without a Roman Latin name. Is this sounding familiar to you yet? So here's the conclusion. So with a new family and a new inheritance and a new name and a new purpose, this Gaul moved out of his story into a Roman story. Are you following? This was the Gaul's redemption path. He moved out of his story into a Roman story, a Roman culture. Now, I don't know about you, but God is on supreme display right now. He is on supreme display right now. And I have hope for you this morning. Here we go. Let's look at it in the book of Ephesians and let's see how non-accidental, non-coincidence this is. Here, and, and as I start putting these up here, I, I try to make this, I want you to see. I want you to see with your eyes. I want you to see with your heart. And I want you to see the parallels. Here we go. Spiritual reality step one as for believers. We must completely renounce our former life and admit and submit that we are dead to deserving any rights in and of ourselves from God. Pastor, I'm hurting. I'm broken. My marriage is falling apart. My wayward child, I have no relationship. I'm struggling with my sin. I want God, I wanna stop hurting. I want a new story. What do I need to do? You need to first renounce your former life and admit that you don't deserve anything. This is exactly what Paul is urging the Gentiles to understand. And it goes for us too. Think about baptism. We just did a beautiful baptism, right? With three of our young people. What was happening in that baptism? There was a public <laughs> profession of faith in God and a denouncing of a former, once I was this, but I'm, I'm dead to that and I'm stepping into a new story. It's about renouncing your old life and pledging allegiance to a new life. Do you see what the Gauls were experiencing? Paul was in light chain house arrest. He's watching these Gauls go through this Romanization process and God inspires Paul to use that as a handle for us to understand our redemption. So one of the first steps that we need to understand is this, we are dead to rights. And I need us to say that out loud. We are dead to rights without God. 
That's important. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it's not going to be on the screen, says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Are you tracking with me? Listen to this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. God does the work, not you. It is a gift. You can't earn it. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. So as we begin our journey in Christ, we have to go through a relearning process and be trained up. Similar to the Gauls being trained up, but in a much better way. Spiritual reality, step two. Here we go. Then we must experience God's grace. You've got to interact with God's grace as being chosen into his family. This is, how do I walk with an unbeliever? How do I invite some, how, do, how do I do that? How, do I be, how am I marked by the gospel? You, you walk them through this process of redemption. So this comes from our focus verse just last week, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us, we don't choose him, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So as our hearts soften towards the kingdom of heaven, we begin to understand that we are part of a new family and under new leadership. These Gauls were transferring out of their own leadership and culture. And as they were being indoctrinated, they had to fall under a new ruler, a new leader in Caesar. And we are falling under a new leader, a much better leader in God. Are you seeing that? <laughs> but I need you to pay attention to this because this is the biggest thing throughout the whole series. God must choose you first. Now, that's, that can sound a little bit scary right now but god must choose you first you can't choose him first and until god chooses you you're utterly hopeless so here's here's my hope to you because that can sound like i can't do anything <laughs> but here's my hope to you every single portion of your desire to be here this morning oh you don't understand i only came i only want to be here a little bit i'm actually distracted every hey whatever even if it's the smallest portion of your desire to be here this morning it came from god what the bible is telling us loudly is that none of it came from you you do not have the ability to want God. <laughs> you do not have the ability. The Bible screams it loudly across the Bible. You do not have the ability to want and desire God. That was broken when Shalom was broken in the book of Genesis. So you can have real hope. This isn't a, a, a scary sermon where you're like, oh my God, my eternal security is on, is, on, is on trial right now because I can't choose God. No, 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 you've chosen him because if you have a huge desire or just a mustard seed's desire, it means God activated it. Hold on. And if he activated it, then he's going to complete it. Because he promises that he's going to complete every good work he starts in his children. So whether you're, you have this gigantic, enormous faith in God, or you're barely hanging on for dear, dear life, you can rest assured that you have been chosen and adopted by God because God never loses one of his sheep. Amen? Amen. Is that good news? Yeah, All right, here we go. Step three. Step three, the last step in this. We are then, after we have to be chosen, we are then adopted by God, our Father, and given, a given this name as sons of God. We all get to become sons or sons, daughters, but as the Word of God says, sons of God. 
Are you tracking with this? We literally, presently, and eternally get adopted by the creator of the universe into a royal kingdom of God. <laughs> we are adopted by the God of the universe through the word of his power. He created the whole world. He can do anything he wants. And he's spending his time adopting broken children, redeeming them, reconciling them, and making them whole. Praise God. He is good. <laughs> that means as children of God, we get to move away from being children of disobedience to being sons and daughters of grace and mercy and hope and love and kindness. God does that work in you. That is what Paul was communicating to these Gentiles. They were struggling, and so they're, they're sending people to Paul. He's under light chain house arrested like Paul, Paul, Paul. These Gentiles are being treated like second-class citizens. They're losing their, their, their faith. They're losing their, losing their faith, actually. I love that. I'm glad I said They're losing their faith. They're losing their hope. They're walking away from the faith. And Paul's like, uh-uh, I'm having none of it. This is nonsense. Scribe, come here, because I'm getting old, right? Write this down, write this down. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus, grace and peace. And he starts to write this beautiful letter that God inspires him to write. And he says, uh-uh, you have been chosen. <laughs> uh-uh, you have been adopted. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I I I'm not going to make it through another week. You have no idea how close I am to the end. Yeah, God does know. Yes, he does. He knows. He's not alarmed. He's not surprised. And this is his message to you. Grace and peace in your circumstance, Gentiles. These Gauls are suffering. I don't care how big and brute these guys were. I, I know for a fact, because they're human. When these guys went to bed at night, I don't care what they had a new name. I don't care if they smiled with their new name. When they went to bed and the lights were off and they laid in that bed, I don't care how nice those Roman families were who adopted them. They sat and they wept. Because they had, other, they had a wife and children, their culture. It'd be like some, like some other country coming in here and slaughtering the whole Beaverton, Hillsborough area, destroying everything, burning every beautiful tree, killing everyone, taking like 35 of us into a whole other land, putting us nice makeup on, making us a new person, smile, you have an inheritance. <laughs> What utter misery is that? But these Gauls, as the word of God says in Acts, the whole house of Caesar was rejoicing in God. What in the world is that? How can you lose everything and then be turned into a worshiper of God? How can you lose everything and be turned into a worshiper of God? I think it's because Paul is communicating a deep mystery for you and for me. So here's the conclusion. So with a new family and a new inheritance, and a new name, and a new purpose, we as believers move out of our story into God's story. The title of our sermon series. We move out of our story into God's story, and it is far better than a Roman story. <laughs> Praise Christ. You see, the Gentiles only experienced a partial version of redemption. It's like, oh, you don't have to die. But we're just going to take everything away from you, slaughter everything, and, and you're going to be a part of our culture. Smile. So, so they had a redemption, but it was a partial redemption. They were still second-class citizens. At best, they were high-powered servants, but they were never equal in dignity, worth, and value to other Roman blood people. 
but in Christ. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we don't have a partial redemption. We have a glorious, supreme, all-encompassing, full, and final redemption. We are equal in dignity, value, and worth because Christ said so. That is what Paul is exhorting. So when these Gauls denounced their former life and they were forced to, to lose their wives and their children and their culture and everything, they were left with misery, misery and hope. But what Paul did with these guards that are, that are chaining him up, that there's a whole other message there about what we do in our suffering. And so what Paul is telling these Gauls who are chaining him up, actually, we're going to do that because this is God's time. And this is what, let me, let me tell you this. Never, ever forget to be marked by grace. Paul could have easily said nothing to these Gauls. These, these Gauls represented the people watching over him, imprisoning him wrongfully. But you know what Paul was holding attention this whole time? These Gauls were slaves too, just like him. A slave of their circumstance. Now, why is that important for us as a people? Uh, this is just for free. This isn't even part of our sermon. This is just for free. This is good news. Why is that important for the people of God? Because if this is going to be a God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-believing church, then this means it's a hospital. And that means that everyone in this room is armed to become a physician and an x-ray technician of this glorious hospital. And when God entrusts us with more people in this church, he's going to send people that are sick and hurting and bruised. Are we going to reject them or are we going to embrace them? And what about the people who wrong you? Are you going to focus on that they're wronging you or that they are a prison maybe to their own circumstances? Hey, hurt people, you know the rest of that phrase? Hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. So where does a hurt person go? If they have no other ability but to hurt other people, where are they to go to learn how to not do that? If not, God's church. But if we are going to be so finicky as the people of God that hurt people who will come in here and will hurt us because they don't know another way, if we can't embrace them and teach them a new way, how are we even marked by the gospel? Paul looked beyond what the Gaul's role was and ministered to them despite their role in his life. And that is good news for us. We are called to do the same thing. This means we are no longer slaves because we're redeemed and we get to walk through redemption. We're no longer slaves to our sin at all. We get the opportunity to be glad slaves to God. I'm going to say it again. We don't, have to be, we don't have to be slaves to our sin and live in that misery anymore. We get to be glad slaves to God. Now, notice I just said slaves, which nobody wants to hear probably, right? Slaves, slaves to God. Now, I want to share with you is something that I developed in my journal. And I'm being honest with you, I, never share, I haven't shared this with anyone. And so it's called the If Whom Clause of Slavery. So, right? so these are some of my some intimate writing of how I kind of wrestle through things to grow closer to the word and to God. And so this is called the if whom clause of slavery that I came up with in my TFO. Um, TFO is like means thought and feelings out loud. So I, I write them down, my thoughts and my feelings out. OK, so I want to share it with you word for word. It's going to be on the screen for you right now. I think it's going to be really, really helpful and hopefully biblical. Everyone is a slave. And you think deeply with me, OK? Everyone is a slave. 
by mere function of being created, we have a specific set of limitations and boundaries within our design given to us by a perfect designer. We're almost done. Hang in there. Lean in. Therefore, we are not boundless. You need to know that. But rather, we are appropriately bounded by a created design. Male, female, tall, short, introverted, extroverted, we're bounded by things. Therefore, no one and no thing is fully and finally independent of itself, but God. So we are slaves in relation to the inability to be fully original or fully creative. We can't do that. We are sheep and we must follow a shepherd. Therefore, it is not a matter of if one is a slave, but to whom one is a slave. Specifically regarding mankind, our slavery can reside upon two camps and no more. Only two camps. You can, be the, you can be in the misery camp of slavery to sin, and this is led by the shepherd of darkness and deception, namely Satan, the father of all lies, or the glad camp of slavery to Christ and redemption. This is led by the shepherd of light and truth, namely Jesus the Christ, the prince of the peace of God. There's only two choices folks, miserable sin in Satan or glad redemption in Christ. Everybody on the planet gets two choices. The former feels like dying. If you are in the miserable sin of Satan, it feels like dying because it is. It should be fled from at all cost. The latter also feels like dying because it is but it actually leads to ultimate life, freedom, and joy. It should be pursued with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. Brandon, choose rightly. <laughs> and then I closed my book and I wrote a resolve on my wall. Brandon, choose rightly. I got two choices. You got two choices. You're gonna be a slave of this world and of sin. You're gonna be stuck, installed, and stagnant in your muck and mire. Or you can choose to say, God, I submit to your will. I submit to your way. Help me, God. Can't you see? In Christ, we have an amazing opportunity to be in a better story, a God story. We're drawn out from being under the master shepherd of sin into a superior shepherd in Christ. And because of that, we get to be freed. And this is the final thing. I'm going to land the plane. We get to be freed from two realities because of this. Okay. Here's the first one. We are freed and redeemed from sin. Guys, men, women, listen, you are freed and redeemed, redeemed from sin. Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The root of our sin lays deep in our nature, and we don't have any power to stop sinning apart from Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? You have no power to stop your sins apart from Christ. None. Zero. Zilch. But because of Christ, and as you walk through this redemption path, you don't have to make the same choices all the time. Stop doing that. 
in Christ the redemption, you can stop doing that. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. When you die to your former life, when you understand that you are dead to rights, and you accept God as your Abba Father, you understand that you are chosen to adopt it, you are set free from your sin. <laughs> now, what does that mean? Does it mean you can stop sinning fully and finally? Here's a better faith way of thinking through it. It means that you are saved and freed from the grip of sin. And as you walk through your redemption story, into God's story, and as you are sanctified, that grip gets looser and looser and looser over time. And eventually it has no power over you as you enter into eternity with God. Therefore, listen in, lean into this. You don't have to be a slave to pornography anymore. Because there's people who are enslaved to pornography in this room. It's a statistical fact, period. If that's you, you do not have to be a slave to pornography or any form of sexual sin that you are committing right now in the dark. I see faces right now like, oh, you said, yeah, this is church, real church. Stop doing that. In Christ, you are free from being a slave from that misery. Stop doing that. You are free from anger. Stop being angry and give it to God. That's why your relationships aren't healing. Because you're not allowing the grace and mercy of God to permeate through you. You are free from being angry and frustrated with yourself and others. In Christ, He did that for me and you. You are free to stop living in fear. Some of you are not activating into what God has for you because you are just a ball of fear. You are stuck in anxiety. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if that? Hey, what if none of that happens because God has a great plan for your life? Hey, or, or about this. What if every single thing does happen and God still proves himself to be true and good to you? You are free from being a slave to fear and anxiety. This body of mine is a prison. <laughs> it hurts right now. Every time I move every arm, it is a prison. But in Christ, I am free to have joy and I don't have to perform. I am excited to be here this morning. I am happy to be here this morning. I am happy to cause some momentary affliction in my body because I love God. And he has freed me beyond my suffering, beyond my pain, beyond my story to live the story that God has called me to. It didn't matter what the neurosurgeon said. It didn't matter what any doctor said. God had a plan. He was going to see it. It wasn't my plan. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I did not want to be in a chair. I want to be standing and exhorting the word of God for the whole hour. I can't, but he had a story. His story is still good. It was better than anything I could make. And it's going to be better than what you can make if you trust God. You are free from that. You are free to stop repeating the same mistakes and being an idiot. <clears throat> Finally, you are freed and redeemed from the punishment you deserve. And this is really important for those who are feeling condemned and living in guilt right now. Because some of us, you know who you are. You've done some really wrong things. You've, you've really screwed up. You've really screwed up. And you don't know how to, you don't even know where to start. You don't know where to pick the pieces back up. You have screwed up. Hey, you're freed from the punishment that you do deserve. 
we, as sinners, we are condemned to death. But because of Christ and redemption and the blood of Christ, he pays that debt. So when you act, listen to me, listen to me. When you choose to stay living in that posture of guilt, you are saying, God, what you did on the cross wasn't good enough for me. How prideful of you. How arrogant of you to say that the, the blood of Christ isn't sufficient for you. You know, you know, one of the things I deal with in pastoral counseling, I'll, I'll, I'll have, oh, I'm not talking, every time I tell these stories, they're not always young men at 19. Hello. Because the only difference between a 19-year-old man and a 39-year-old man is the 19-year-old man is actually stronger and hasn't lost the ability to be vulnerable and to weep. And the 39-year-old man is so far gone and trying to be so manly, and he's not manly, that he can't be honest and vulnerable about where he is. And one of the most beautiful things that I experience in one-on-one counseling is to watch grown men re-enter into a healthy place and that childlike boyhood come and their tears water and they get to be just a vulnerable child of God. And let me tell you, um, when I sit down with some men and I think about some stories and just in the past and they're, they're just, they're weeping and they're crying. I'm not worth anything. I'm so guilty. I did this. I did this. I did that. I did this to my wife. It may have been five years ago. They can't move on. The wife has even forgiven them. And they're like, you know, my husband's not happy. Nobody can make him happy. He's not happy. And, and I'll look and I'll say, who do you think you are? How arrogant, how prideful of you to say that God's blood can cover, but oh, but but you, you can lead Bible studies. You can tell your kids it's okay. God forgives you. So basically, basically, Christ and God's blood and the redemption is for everybody else but you, huh? Hey, isn't that funny? How much we believe in God's grace for other people and not ourselves? Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful, and accept what God has done for you. It's good news. So who who are we? Who are we? We are a people called to walk joyfully as freed and redeemed children of God, fully known and gladly adopted by our Abba Father. You know what the key word is in this? Fully known. He knows who you are. He knows who I am. And he still chose you and he still adopted you. And that's good news. Now, let's land the plane. In order for us to taste and to see that this redemption thing is good and it is true, and that we can live and endure. We're going to have to really understand forgiveness. I'm going to say it to you again. You're not going to get very far in your redemption story until you interact with the forgiveness of God over your life. Because some of us are being, we're not able to move forward because we haven't allowed God to forgive. We have not allowed God to forgive us of whatever is going on in our lives. And then for others... We are not able to move on because we are not forgiving people. So we can't move any further into redemption in Christ. You are going to be stuck in your, in your process of being reconciled until you first learn how to receive God's forgiveness. And then you learn how to forgive those. And I want you to think right now, because next week, that's where we're going. We're going to be looking at forgiveness. Are there parts that you have not forgiven yourself of in your life? And who are you not forgiving? Let's look at that next week. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, the riches of your seven identifiable blessings that we're working through are really too much for us to fathom, Lord. 
However, we come before you so humbly, so thankful that you've granted them to us, broken children, needy children, whiny children, Lord, but you love us despite our insufficiencies. So today, Lord, we specifically have exalted Christ namely the blessing of redemption. He paid for it on the cross. We know that comes out of your love for us as our Abba Father. So Lord, help us to understand, Lord, that this is good news for us and that we have the opportunity to be freed from things that we have been enslaved to. Help us to move out of the miserable camp of being a slave to sin into the glad camp of being a slave to Christ because it's where we will achieve and live most freely. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.